0: Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, during the season of Lent, we are journeying through a very familiar story, the story of the prodigal son and his brother. It's a story that reminds me a little bit of the couple that went to the movies one night. They walked into the theater, they sat down, and there up on the screen came the big lion for MGM that roared boldly, and the couple got up, walked out. When asked why they walked out, they looked at the person and said, well, we've seen this one before. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I'll be here all week. Um... The story of the prodigal son is so familiar to many of us that we just assume that we've seen it before, that we've heard it before, and so perhaps there's nothing else then that we can really grab from it, right? Well, during this season of Lent, we are walking alongside Henry Nowen. In his book, The Return of the Prodigal Son, which is Nowin's reflections and writings on his encounter with Rembrandt's painting with the same name, The Return of the Prodigal Son. If you have not had a chance to look at the painting, I strongly encourage you to do so. We'll try and bring it down here in front after worship tonight, but it is uh, Rembrandt's interpretation of the story that we are hearing throughout this season of Lent. Nowin then also shares his insights, and the book, if you do not have it and would like it, it is available out in the atrium at the welcome desk. It's $10, and it's a great read. So tonight, we are going to focus, we are going to zoom in on the younger brother, Okay, That is where we are going to spend our time. We are not going to rush ahead to the older brother. We're not going to rush ahead to the father. But we're going to zoom in on the younger brother. So Rembrandt, in many ways, was just like the younger brother. Just like the prodigal son. Rembrandt was born in 1606. And by the time he was in his 20s and 30s, he thought he was pretty important. He thought he was kind of a big deal. In fact, he had an arrogance about him. He was very, very self-absorbed. And he was brash and self-confident. And he was hungry for fame and adulation. He was hungry for the spotlight. So there were all of these ways in which he behaved that really, quite frankly, were that of someone who just thought he was a whole lot better than everyone else. In fact, he was known to have been fairly insensitive to those around him. But, like so often, things began to shift. And then Rembrandt Rembrandt began to experience some incredibly profound loss and grief in his life. He lost four children. He lost two wives. He buried four children and two wives, and towards the end of his career, people were, had stopped buying his paintings. This person went from being on top of the world and in essence having everything to having nothing. And so he was one, Towards the end of his life, and when he died in 1669, he was a poor and lonely man. Rembrandt earned a lot, he spent a lot, and he lost a lot. In so many ways, he was the younger son. In his book, Henry Nouwen writes this, In order to return, one must have left something behind. Returning is a homecoming after a home leaving. So we encounter the younger son tonight. He has asked his father for the share of his inheritance. Now, I don't know about you, but if my son or daughter asked me for their inheritance while I was still living and healthy... I may have a few choice words for them. (laughs) To ask your father or your parent for a share of the inheritance was basically wishing your parent to be dead. It would have been incredibly hurtful. It would have been incredibly offensive. And yet, in that moment, the father granted his request. And so we can assume that his father was a wealthy man and the younger son now, loaded down with a wad of money, went away to the big city, went away to the big city to have all sorts of fun to live it up. And I am sure he had a marvelous time, at least for a little bit. But like so many things, it came to an end. With his money gone, those friendships that he thought he had were gone too. Suddenly, he experienced that so many things in this world are actually conditional. That people place conditions on all sorts of things. And so it is no wonder that just as the younger brother became a poor and lonely young man in that moment, Rembrandt could relate because he was right there with him towards the end of his life. Poor and lonely, without a home. This story is about a world that is constantly seeking to draw us away, to lure us away from our home. And I'm not talking about that beautiful two-story house that is found on that panor- with a panoramic view of the most beautiful lake, where you can grab your favorite book, curl up next to the fire, and fall asleep as the, song- as the birds and nature play that lovely playlist. Not that kind of home. I'm talking about the home that is only found in Jesus Christ our Lord. So let me ask you tonight what messages do you hear? What messages are out there? What things do you hear that seek to lure you away, seek to draw you away from God's love, from God's home? What are some things? That you have witnessed or perhaps experienced, throw some out for me. Go for it. Anytime. <laughs> I can't go on, I'll just wait. A trail of cakes. <laughs> I, I couldn't hear that one, but what? <laughs> A, trail of cakes. A trail of cakes. That would totally draw us away. <laughs> All right. There are all sorts of things, right? We live in a world that says, look, if you are, if you have X, Y, and Z, you are somebody, right? We hear these messages that come to us, promises of power and of success, promises of popularity, and suddenly we turn away from God and towards the lure of those things in our lives. Just take a look at social media, right? I'm guessing a good number of us here, both young and older, I'm sure many of you youth have a social media account in some way or another, whether it be Instagram or Facebook, whatever it may be, telling you or telling the world in which we live that we are not good enough, we're not smart enough, we're not beautiful enough, we're not strong enough telling us all these things that we are not who we should be because we are not good enough. And we get drawn and pulled away from God's love and God's grace. Fill in the blank. Not rich enough, not popular enough. You've heard the refrain. You've seen it. You've experienced it. But here is the thing that is 100% false because you are so much more than that. You are so much more than that. You are God's beloved. God loves you. And in this world we live where so much is conditional, the love of God is not. And wherever you find yourself in this walk of life, God is continuing to reach out to you and to grab a hold of you and to say, I love you. Now says that faith is the radical trust that home has always been there and always will be. That was true for the younger son when he returned and he, kneel, he knelt before his father in humiliation, in loneliness, in defeat, in emptiness. And the same is true for you and me. Now and says, we are so loved that we are left free to leave home. But the Father, God, is always looking, always reaching, reaching out to receive us back and say, I love you. Did you hear that? There's nothing that you can do to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And oh, how wonderful that is. Because I would bet many of us can relate to the younger son. And if we can't, I would bet that many of us know of someone whose story is very similar. So, how many of you can identify with the younger son? Well, next week, next week, you will have the opportunity. You will find yourself perhaps identifying with the older son as the story continues. So come and see. Welcome home. Let it be so. Amen.